You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to The Worship Review, the podcast which charitably and critically examines the texts of music sung in the church. I'm Tyler. I'm joined by my co-host, Colin. Hello, I'm Colin, and I am the attentive co-host of this podcast. And today we're taking a look at a what we might call an oldie but a goodie, um, as things age rather quickly in this sphere, Open the Eyes of My Heart, originally by Paul Beloche. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. Famously covered by Michael W. Smith, and it seems like this is actually the cover version that is still driving a lot of the um, listenership of this song. So when you look at the CCLI, the version of this song that is most popular seems to be that uh, Michael W. Smith cover. I've always wondered how that works. Like, why is it that some worship artists seem to just get permission to do some other worship artist song? And it's often like almost right around the same time that they even came out with a song. Did they like let somebody else do it? There must be some serious copyright negotiations happening between labels, or maybe they're all on the same label. Possibly. Yeah, possibly. Or one artist just decides to not be picky about it and the label is okay with it and both are able to record it. So this is curious. This song first appeared on Belosh's 1998 album, First Love. Even though he later released, two years later, an album called Open the Eyes of My Heart. So it seems like the song landed and then it was met with immense popularity. So he released an album with the name of that song. And there's actually, oh yeah. Well, I was just going to say there is a precedent for that. There were um, three movies that were released in the late 70s and early 80s that were called Star Wars. And then there were these later movies that were not Star Wars and yet <laughs> somehow got the name of that. And they even used a lot of Star Wars stuff in them, like had some of the same actors even, but they were not in any way the same quality and clearly made by even a different studio. I, this is not really a film podcast, but I I am, uh, I, I don't hate the sequels, to be honest with you, the so-called sequels. Well, and the enemy Colin, of my enemy is... <laughs> you know what? You know what my favorite sequel is? What? The Last Jedi. Die. (laughs) Well, in any event, uh, (laughs) that would be a fun conversation to have at some point. Um, Paul Belosh actually wrote a a blog post about the story behind this song, and I thought it would be worth worth reading. So um, this is what he says about this song. The Apostle Paul was writing a letter to the Ephesians, and he says, and he's referring to chapter 1, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. That verse stirred in my heart. One morning while playing during a ministry time at my church, I began to sing that phrase over and over again. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. The whole song pretty much rolled off my tongue while prayerfully playing my guitar and singing it out to him. Well, yeah, considering that's half the song. It it seems like he may still be, yeah, performing it in that uh, fashion. And then he says, it really is a simple song that reflected the sincere prayer of my heart. 
And so he has that uh, story about the creation of the song, but then he also mentions something that um, shaped his thinking as he wrote it. He's kind of a big deal in the worship leading sphere. And so he teaches people how to lead music in the church and he teaches people how to how to act, how to speak, what to say between songs. But he says, it occurred to me that so often we, meaning worship leaders, are teaching the externals. In Psalm 95, it says, come, let's sing for joy. Let's shout out loud. Let's kneel in worship. Let's clap our hands. That's all neat. But I began to realize you can teach externals, but unless something is happening from the inside out, it's really just a form. It's like a cloud without rain. So he wanted to uh, produce a kind of prayer of the heart rather than some action that one performs externally to be reflected in this song. And I think that's what we have here. So Colin, what would you say, um, in short, this song is about? In short, it's right. This is a short, short, short song in the sense that there are not many words. So in fact, I could even just say the words to tell you what the song is about. Opening the eyes of my heart, wanting to see you, which is Lord, God, uh, high and lifted up and shining in the light of his glory. And then there's a request that God would pour out his power and love. And then everybody sings, holy, holy, holy. That is the entirety of the song in, in a kind of paraphrase form. Well, let's take a look at some of those words specifically, shall we? Let's do it. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Yeah, so as you mentioned in the introduction, I'm glad to hear that my hunch was right. This sounds a lot like what Paul says in Ephesians 1.8, asking God, asking in a prayer that the eyes of your heart, the, the, Ephesian, the Ephesians, that the eyes of their hearts might be enlightened. So it's pretty similar to eyes being opened. That prayer, though, makes it clear what, what that means. Tyler, do you have the verse, the, did you have the context pulled up? For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. This almost seems a little bit trite to say, but what I like about Paul's phrasing here is that the enlightening of the darkened eyes, the, uh, the um, giving of this spirit of wisdom produces knowledge in the people, knowledge initially of God, and then also knowledge of the hope to which he has called us, and then also um, the power that is for us who believe. So we have um, this action producing knowledge in the people that hear it, that hear this these words read aloud. And I I was wondering if you would have this criticism. I would say to, to, a, to an extent, I also have this criticism. Um, that the the opening of the eyes of the heart in this song is it's definitely got a purpose, but it's it's not entirely clear if that makes sense. Um, 
we do we do see the purpose of the opening of the eyes is that the person wants to see God, right? And that repeated over and over again. Yeah, the the passage is much clearer about what the whole point of this is. And in fact, the opening of the eyes is really just a phrase in this in this passage and it's just a kind of a it's just a construction. It's not it's it's almost like one of the least significant aspects of the passage. The passage is really emphasizing that Paul wants these people to have wisdom and knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ and hope and knowledge of their inheritance and to experience the power of the resurrection which Christ himself was raised by. So you don't even need to you don't even need to open your eyes, enlighten the eyes of your heart part. It's just, this is just Paul's way of Paul's just kind of being a little bit poetic in the way that he speaks. He's not talking about your heart literally having its eyes open. He's just saying that your mind would be illumined, that your understanding would be increased. He could say it a bunch of different ways. He doesn't have to say it as open the eyes of my heart, but of course he chose to say it that way. So that's important. But I guess all I'm saying here is everything else around it is what is really the important thing, not this terminology, I guess. And Paul Baloch makes a lot of the terminology and captures in in some heavily paraphrased or summarized ways some of what the passage is talking about. Oh, yeah. But I don't know. If you just went with the song as is written, it's kind of tough to tell what exactly is meant by open the eyes of my heart and what is meant by seeing God. Well, seeing is performed with the eyes. And so when we use seeing figuratively, I would imagine we're talking about some kind of comprehension yeah. of God, some knowledge of God. Yeah, enlightening or understanding, which that's in that's in keeping with the scripture there. I have a question, of maybe a theoretical question. Is there room for you to allow a song to be less specific for the sake of being simple, if that makes sense? Because anyone who reads Paul's letters will say, it's not simple. The, the phrasing, the prose, the ideas, they're all complicated. Um, and when he talks about writing this song, he's talking about uttering a prayer, repeating it to himself, almost in a kind of mantra-like sense, and praying this phrase over and over again. It's not a very complicated phrase, but it's not a bad phrase to pray either. No. Uh, I think what you're describing is, yes, there's room for it. And there's room for it because simple simple and specific can complement. Sometimes they can clash, but the real clash between with simple is complex. And I do think songs can be beneficial for reducing complexity down into something simple. In some ways, parables do that. Like Christ himself took complex ideas about the law and obedience, sacrifice, mercy, and boiled them down into simple parables. Now, at the same time, I don't, th we, we do need to acknowledge that simple and specific are not, are not mutually exclusive. And so therefore, some, we should, if, if a song is being simple and is avoiding specificity 
we should at least ask if it needs to. Like, does it make sense that this song actually, did it need to be general? Like the opposite of specific is general. So in some cases, yes. John 3.16 is a good example of a verse which, there's a lot behind John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed should not perish, but have everlasting life. There, there, are cons, there are things that that verse doesn't expound upon that are there. And if it did, it would lose its effectiveness. So there's room for that. But I just think one should be careful about how one does that. Yeah. And I think uh, we have looked at songs in the past that will have simple phrasing, but for no discernible purpose. And I don't think that's a problem in this song. It seems like the simple phrasing is it's kind of childlike language. Um and it's got a purpose to it. It's got a direction and it's bringing us to the next chorus. Yeah. Okay. So I like what you just said there. Childlike language. It's good. I mean, you're a parent and I'm a parent. We do reduce things in complexity to help our children understand. And we even might speak in general ways to help our children understand something. And that's good. And if a song does that effectively, that's fine. So I don't, I'm not against that but it should just be done well okay well uh this verse ends with i want to see you i want to see you and then we have to see you high and lifted up shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. All right, so there's a desire to see God high and lifted up. So I presume this means to see God praised or to see God glorified. It's, again, not a this, not an unbiblical way of speaking. Psalms speak this way. I would say even the idea of God shining in the light of his glory. I mean, if we're thinking about Christ, I can think of a couple places where we see imagery like this. One is the transfiguration. Another place is in Revelation chapter 22, where the Lord God will be their light and they will have no need of light or lamp or sun. So this is not a crazy idea. I do wonder what it means in the sense of what it, not what it means, but what is its meaning? What, what, what does this accomplish? If we say, God, open the eyes of my heart so that I can see you in the way that you were transfigured or in the way, Jesus, that you will be in Revelation 22. Why, why would we ask that? I'm not saying, that's not a criticism, but it's just, that is what the song is saying. Yeah. I want to see you this way. Why do we want that? Is that a good thing to want? Is that a good thing to say that we want in a worship song? Yeah. No, that's a good question. And these are good um, musings, if you will, and they're important questions to ask and clarify. So, uh, for example, the first one, um, is it a good... Well, before we get to that, what are, what are we asking here? We are asking to see God in his glory. And uh, that is both a blessed thing a holy thing, and also a terrifying thing for sinful people. And this chorus, this chorus 
I think is laced with um, ideas, phrases, and even sentiments from the prophet Isaiah. And I think if we look at, for example, when um, Isaiah has this vision of God, high, exalted, seated on a throne, his robe filling the temple, and the seraphim um, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, what is his response, right? He's terrified. And he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And so I think there's a caution here that uh, we should, unless we are in perfect righteousness because of Christ, we should be terrified to stand in God's presence. Um, And yet I can say, because we are the body of Christ and we have his righteousness and he is our advocate before God, uh, and because one day we will sing this before him in perfection and in glory, it is, I would say, good to desire that, right? I, it's it's mm-hmm. like people saying, come Lord Jesus. Uh, they desire the Lord's second coming, mm-hmm. um, even though his second coming will mean the end of this world. But we look forward to that, even through the destruction and everything. So um, I think it's good to desire that. Um, and I another passage in Isaiah that I think is indicated here, this high and lifted up, this uh, stirred something deep in my mind. And I remembered this, uh, this verse from Isaiah where uh, he writes, um, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Yeah. Um, it's uh, describing this high and lifted up and exalted is obviously describing someone being magnified, honored, high and lifted up in the sense of above all other people above lower people but but in Christ this is fulfilled obviously in a double sense right when he is high and lifted up uh, on Calvary gross. he is um crucified and so i think um i think there's a there's a lot of scripture baked into this chorus which initially might look kind of um oh s- too simplistic but i don't mm-hmm. think it's actually too simplistic well then, okay, so there's the second half too, which yeah. is about pouring out. So there's a desire for God to pour out uh, power and love. And at first I thought, okay, we'll pour out to who? Uh, the worshiper or someone else. But then the next line says, as we. So I presume this is the church. This is a person saying, God, pour out your power and love upon the church. And Love in what way? Like, is this a way to talk about mercy or grace, saving love? Is it just a feeling of love? I'd like to know. And also power. So power was referenced in the first chapter of Ephesians that we read, that passage. So that's probably where it's coming from. The power in that passage is, it seems like the power of resurrection, the power that raised Christ. And this is the power that we want God, we want God to raise us as well. I think that's what's being said in Ephesians 18. So, you know, it's a way, I guess, to say that God, we want to see God being glorified and we want to also be glorified with him, by him, I suppose, maybe. Yeah, we desire to see God. We desire to see him glorified. And we also desire his his benefits right and as you mentioned this is one of the things named explicitly in um in ephesians chapter one and i wonder if also meant here is an aspect of sanctification going on 
because in Paul's letter, he says um, that he keeps asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And he's, he's writing to Christians already. And so I don't think he's talking uh, necessarily about um, their regeneration and conversion, but he's actually praying that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on them in a sense that would, would abound in them, uh, sanctifying them and producing the fruits of the Spirit. And so um, among those, I think, are, well, first of all, I know love is, um, and power if if we interpret it in the light of Ephesians one is resurrection, um, or um, well, I don't know what else it what else it could be at at in this song, um, and I I suppose it's sort of a philosophical question whether Christians should desire any other kind of power anyway. Yeah, because um, I mean, not to quote Uncle Ben from Spider Man, but obviously power comes with. Uh, with uh, great power comes with great I, responsibility. I'm trying not to use the phrasing, but I can't help it. With great power comes great responsibility. Or absolute power corrupts absolutely. I mean, in these truisms, there is there is actually a real nugget in there. But I think if we interpret it in light of the scriptural context, which has provided the uh, raw material for the song, then I don't think there's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have to provide that a little bit, which, you know, if we don't have that power could be a bit vague here. So could love. Uh, I don't, I also, so, and as we sing, Holy, Holy, Holy. Now, <clears throat> when I'm really thinking about this and I'm, I'm thinking about the scriptural references that we've made, which we surmise are connected to the song and Balosh kind of talks about, especially with Ephesians one, but later you know, the revelation passage, the Isaiah passage that you mentioned, and, uh, transfiguration. Uh, then I guess the holy, holy, holy part is just a, another reference to what's going on in, in the book of Revelation. So Revelation chapter four, verse eight, you have the four creatures on the throne crying out, holy, holy, holy. And, and so this is the idea, I guess, that we would be singing it as well because we're talking about Christ being glorified and we see him glorified in Revelation. I, I guess that's what the connection is probably. Yeah. And it's a good thing to sing to God. Sure. Declaring him to be thrice holy or yep. holy in perfection. Yep. Perfectly holy. In fact, there's there are quite a few hymns that do this too. Uh, most notably, holy, holy, holy. Yeah, it used to be really important to kind of, to have some kind of reference to the Trinity in hymns it was expected. Especially the closer in history you get to the British Civil War, uh, the uh, it seems like almost the more often those hymns are all about Trinity. I don't know why that would be. Do you interpret the thrice holy aspect as being a Trinitarian reference? Uh, I mean, I'm no theologian or Bible scholar. So if I'm looking at it as a historian, I would say, well, sometimes just a cigar is just a cigar. So the fact that holy, holy, holy is said three times, I mean, three there are, there are, you know, the idea of three shows up in scripture in many ways. So it could be just playing upon three. I wouldn't say that there's some self-evident reason we could attach that to the Trinity, but it doesn't mean we can't. It just might mean that wasn't the point. 
I was trying to interpret your observation that it used to be a big deal for songs to make a reference to the Trinity. Where did you see that? Or, or how did that connect to the earlier thought? I don't know. I said, holy, I holy, holy. In my high. I think that was, uh, did you talk about bring up the Trinity? Oh, God Triune. in three persons. I think you're thinking of the lyrics to holy, 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 right? God yeah. in three persons, bless Yeah, because you were talking about songs that also say holy, holy, holy. Yeah. And that song, that song does make the connection between three holies and the Trinity, or at least strongly implies it by sticking it together, I guess. Well, speaking of, we then get to... Holy, 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 I want to see you. So thrice holy three times, and then I want to see you. I mean, I don't have anything more to say about this that I didn't say about the last holy, holy, holy. Yep. Revelation 4, 8. And the person, the worshiper wraps up by saying again that I want to see you. Do you find this song to be dated? Oh, yeah. What but, dates it for you? Because this is an interesting Well, question. I mean, I led this song a jillion times when I was a worship leader for the first, not quite 10 years of my life, maybe first eight years of my life, the church that I was leading worship in, this was like the song that we did all the time. So it, I just think of that time, the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, but also songs around that time and really before that time, 1980s, 1990s, there was a lot more repetition, simplicity and just general praise it was just kind of the, the idea of the praise song and the one thing that we could all agree on as christians was to praise god and there was a in the evangelical church it was the height of i mean this is maybe going to be a bit prejudiced of me but it was this is at this point the boomers had really taken over the the church they were the they were the in their 30s and 40s and they were why is that prejudice that sounds like well a because i'm making some stereotypes about a whole generation but the fact is that generation is pretty well known for it's kind of never growing up and so maybe they you know you mentioned childlike lyrics and a lot of their songs were almost like songs that you like kids could all understand <laughs> i don't know like they they really took out a lot of the theolo theology from songs and just boiled songs down to just basic response and reflection. There's a podcast that was very popular a few months ago. It may still be in Christian circles. The um, Joe Rogan Experience. Called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Yeah. And in this podcast, it discusses um, the interesting coincidence of... Uh, Americans moving to the suburbs and the founding of megachurches and the consequences on American Christianity and evangelical Christianity. And so if you haven't listened to that show, you, you probably should, Colin. And Just some of it. Too. Yeah. Some other things about this song dated it for me. So uh, there's there seems to be a prevalence in the late 90s um, for, and maybe mid 90s too, for worship music to have claps on two and four that people actually <laughs> take part in doing. Okay, and yeah. So, yeah, we did a lot of that. Open the eyes of my heart. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we did that. Um, oh, man. It's actually incorporated. And I don't think anyone does that anymore, curiously. People uh, obviously get involved in the music now, but it's very different. And, you know, next week we're going to look at a song called Oceans by Hillsong. 
And I think that song really exemplifies kind of new age, not new age spirituality. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying the new generation of Christian worship music. And there's no room for that kind of clapping. There's no room for the rock backbeat on the song. Um, it's much more ambient yeah. and um, electronic oriented. Yep. So, well, Colin, uh, do you have any more concluding thoughts? Sounds like you've already kind of wrapped up. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing bad in the song, but if you don't provide it with some of the things that we've provided it with, it's, it's a bit vague. It's super repetitive. Oh my goodness. Ultra repetitive song. And it's okay to have few words in a song. It's not a bad thing. Doxology, for example. But I don't know. I, I'd love to see more substance in this song. Okay. Well, for my part, I I think I'm willing to let a song be a little bit more simple. Uh, and as long as it's not saying anything that's false or not omitting important things deliberately or something like that. Um, and I thought about this. At the same time, it's not, it's, it's not enough to merely um, not offend, so to speak. Yeah. So I think there's two tensions on me, and these both are um, pulling my evaluation in um, two different directions. So let's see. Colin, what did you give this yeah, song? So, I mean, mine's probably obvious from what I said. So this one falls below the bar for me. I gave it two out of five relative minors. Relative minors because at least in the church where we sung this song, we would play it in D or the, the first chord would be D and then we would go down to the B minor. Yeah. And it would, you know, trope in the worship music, but I really associate that walk down with, with the song. Yeah. The, the one, six, four, five chord progression is yep. huge or one, four, six, five. Classic. There's all different forms so of it. Powerful. I feel it. Well, what did you write the song, Tyler? It clears the bar for me. It, it's a three out of five and I'm going to give it three out of five stage lights because one of the other things that dates this song aside from obviously the clothes that people are wearing and um, no one having a cell phone in the audience um the stage lighting just struck me as something from right around the turn of the millennium where hmm. the stage is one color it's it's got these blue um they actually look like irish knots or you know those really complicated mm -hmm. knots um that kind of pattern in blue on the ground and then the background behind them there's something that looks like a, a a window from a from a from a skyscraper apartment complex building um so there's like a window into an apartment looking thing on a fake brick wall behind them and then red it red lights that spread into pink on the sides and it just it just looked dated i don't know how to place it but that aesthetic is totally gone now um and I'm sure I'm, I'm sure that in 30 years people are going to look at um, they will at uh, you know the Hillsong musicians and see the kind of laser shows and stuff like that and that's going to look dated. I but, remember thinking in the 90s, I was and around in fact late 90s. I remember you were think, watching the Andy Griffith show. You were working on your dad's. <laughs> no, no uh, I was I was and I was uh, and horse I, and buggy. Occasionally, I would like hear some music from the 80s or you know I'd see something from the 80s or the 70s. And I would think, man, that looks so dated. And I thought, there is no way what we're doing now is going to look that dated. Like there is, the, it cannot be the what hubris, Colin. And what hubris? Of course, right? I was totally wrong. How long have you been as arrogant as you are? I have always been right, if that's what you're asking me. Okay, so when were you first correct about how important you are? From my mother's womb, I I knew. Oh 
good, good, good. Well, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. Um, write to us and let us know why Colin is wrong about this song. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next Monday as we talk about Oceans by Hillsong. Au revoir. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.